And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here as always with Mr. Anthony Slater. Fred Katz going to be joining us here in a little bit. we got a lot going on, as always, in the association this week. For our loyal listeners, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, Slater and I, I think are going to dive in a little bit on the 65-game rule that all of a sudden is front and center in the NBA when it comes to this thing that we thought was uh, was compelling star players to play. We were very, very excited about it. And then came Joel Embiid and his sensitive situation, I'll call it. Slater and I, the other night, were at that Sixers-Warriors game where Joel hobbled off late in the fourth quarter. Uh, he's kind of become the poster boy on that front. All things Joel Embiid, we're going to talk about Trade deadline season, Slater, it's coming up pretty quick here. Uh, we're going to get into the Knicks with Fred, talk about Damian Lillard's return to Portland, some other stuff around the league, including a Houston Rockets piece that I chipped in on with Sham Sharani and Kelly Yuko. Uh, we will make the round. Slater coming at us with the airport energy this morning. What's up, sir? I think I'm at the Sam Amick International Airport in Sacramento, California. Is that what it's called these days? I can't. Man, I can't get any love in that airport. I walk by, here's my ego talking. I walk by, there's these Sacramento State alum posters, all these people wow. in the media who, who went on to do great things. I, I, I you know, there, I'll get that, there one day. Is that actually? The it's case? a thing. It's a thing. Yes. Where in this airport? I mean, we probably shouldn't uh, go to the terminal my, or a terminal. As I wear my Sac State t shirt or sweatshirt here. Uh, it last I saw it, it was in the B terminal, uh, by the gates. Okay. Um, it's a cool concept. They, they celebrate alum and different things they've, they've been doing. I just haven't got that phone call. One of these days, brother. All right. Joel Embiid, we were there. Um, I, my question to you, because you brought up the 65 game rule and you, you know, you reported on it. Uh, so I kind of think I already know what your answer is going to be, but do you actually think he felt compelled to play? against the Warriors, which seems in retrospect like an obvious mistake considering how he was hobbling around with the knee, went to the locker room, all that, and then, you know, he gets his knee sat on basically by Kaminga in a scrum and really seems to injure it. But uh, do you feel like he was compelled to play more because of the 65 game rule or because of, in some ways, the embarrassment of the Denver situation and kind of the national talking point about him, which wasn't really about the 65 game rule. It was about, you know, the whole did he duck the Oak. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I love, yeah, I left that part out. And you're right; that was a massive part of the context. I would answer by saying I think probably the Denver pressure. Now, you know, he hasn't talked um, to the media since then, since the Denver game. So they go to Portland. He doesn't play in Portland. Goes to play the Warriors. You know, and not only gets hurt late in the fourth quarter, but looked pretty bad all throughout the night. You know, and then went back to the locker room at one point in the first half because he was not moving well. I think the Denver thing. Um, played a part and at least there were some people with the Sixers who believed that was the case um, the 65 game rule I mean listen it was already trending very quickly in the direction of him being disqualified eventually uh, based on the track he was on right you can only miss 17 games based on the way it's set up now to to be ineligible for postseason awards um, and I think you know in the wake of him getting hurt against the Warriors obviously the rule became part of the debate, part of the discussion, because uh, we are, I think, earlier than expected, seeing really high-profile players like get removed from the national conversation. Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers had that hamstring injury um, and some other stuff that he's dealt with, and you know, next thing you know, he's on track to be out of all NBA consideration, and a, a supermax extension that he already agreed on is going to be roughly forty million dollars less. Forty-seven million, I believe, is the uh, the difference for Halliburton uh, on that. But you know, and we can get like the rule, probably like you said, unintended consequences already. I mean, we're only 
we well, I guess we just crossed into February, but it's not. This isn't even something that's like the last week of the season, and it's somebody pushing a play or not. Um, but the truth is, Embiid, because of his injuries and missed games, in my opinion, even in the year where he isn't technically disqualified, was going to be disqualified because of the lack of games he was going to play. I think, like he. Was, Why do you let me push back on that? Why yeah. he he won MVP with sixty six games last year, and 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 at minimum, this is going to sound like a weird way of putting it. I think I've liked the 65-game rule. I've loved seeing, you know, I don't know if it's the reason Kawhi Leonard got out there and played, but, man, seeing Kawhi, seeing all these different guys out there has been wonderful. When it comes to Embiid, I want to track this thing to the end of the season and make up my own mind as a voter rather than having it taken off the table for me. That's fair. I'm just saying I think he was like, you know, 78 games of Jokic or or 75 games of Shea Gilgis-Alexander I think was always going to – uh, win the award over what's going to probably end up being like what fifty-five games of of Joel Embiid or whatever. I'm fine with what you're saying that like you know you would rather be given the choice because right. Joel Embiid's averaging thirty. What is it, thirty-six per game or something like that? If he does that and he plays sixty-four games, I don't know. Um, there, there should maybe let's bring be in let's bring a, a guy with thoughts. I see him. I have so many thoughts. My eyes are like <laughs> first of all, cat this year. What do you got? You got you guys are strawmanning the topic. You're talking about this rule like it was intended to make the MVP award more legitimate. It wasn't. It was put in place in order to encourage people to get away from load management. That's why it was put in. It was put in to encourage players to play more games and not sit out when they're on the fence. We know this. One issue I have with the Joe Dumars with the Joe Dumars quote. The only issue I have with the Joe Dumars quotes is that he said unintended consequences, which Slater just mentioned which is like a buzzword in the NBA. I don't understand what the unintended consequences were. These were literally the intended consequences. The intended consequences were if someone plays fewer than 65 games, they're not eligible for MVP, All-NBA, all that kind of stuff. The thing that I totally agree with him with, and it's so necessary to the point, is that this is not the league's rule. This is, this is both sides' rule. Like the player association, when they negotiated this new CBA, chose to concentrate on things that at the time I said, I did not really understand why this is the priority and why they're giving stuff back. For example, they wanted the salary floor, the rules on a salary floor to kick in before the season starts as opposed to after the season starts. That really didn't bring the players much, much if any, more money. It just got them their money a little bit earlier on the whole, like nine months earlier. I, I, they gave up stuff in order to get those things. This is one of the things that the owners wanted, the league wanted, because they recognized that load management was one of the biggest problems in the league. The whole point was to get these guys like LeBron and AD and Kawhi to play more games. That was that was the intention of the league, and had nothing to do with legitimizing awards. Uh, it was it was just the way they were going to encourage it. And I'm just like, I don't, I I just. I think we're getting away from it. I also think we're getting away from what? We're getting away from the reason why we're we're getting away from the reason why these rules were put in. We're we're having a conversation about. But here's the question I'm asking is, and again, I'm going to just keep using Joel as the poster boy here, and I have recency bias because you know seeing him up close, seeing the way he looked. I mean, that night I think Slater will agree at Chase Center. Fred, I can't ever remember a storyline flipping as drastically and quickly as this one did from the Denver optics in which everybody was piling on Joel Embiid, myself included, to Chase Center where you had a lot of sympathy for the guy and you could feel him trying to push through and it just wasn't happening. Yeah. But, Joel, my question is, are we prepared? Uh, you know, I'm going to do the old proverbial we as people who cover the league, who do care about the league and the history of the game, are we prepared to have Joel Embiid erased from the history books from this point forward? Because he has only played 65-plus games twice in the seven seasons where he's been able to play. Like, the idea that really hit home for me the other night, because of his greatness, because he's coming off a 70-point game, because he was the Vegas oddsmaker leader for MVP as recently as seven, eight days ago, it just really struck me that holy shit, Joel Embiid is about to not exist in the NBA's history books for the rest of his career. I mean, that's a little bit strong. I mean, I think it's... How is that strong? 
I think his stats will still count. I think uh, you know his playoff uh, performance. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying he's he's not going to be the end. How are you going to argue best big man of all time? Like, like you're going to sit here, hey, no, you know, Giannis had. We're let's say, assume he wins at least one more. Giannis had three MVPs and and this and that. Like you can't. It it changes the debate. Slater, you know, Draymond Green. Draymond Green had some fantastic points recently. He had one about Kawhi Leonard that Kawhi wins Defensive Player of the Year a couple of years back playing 58 games. Draymond missed out on Defensive Player of the Year. You know, if if these rules existed back then, he would have been the winner. He was he was actually wrong in that. How many games was it? Uh, let me look at what year. What year was that? I knew I was supposed to check that. Hold on. Yeah. What I'm year? Glad check me. Let me find it. Let's get back to that in a minute. But his other yeah. point that Draymond made in the preseason was, and I'm paraphrasing, you remember the quote he had about, uh, you know, y'all are going to love this award until you see a bunch of trash players getting all NBA. Um, that's Kawhi, extreme. Kawhi Leonard's two defensive player of the year uh, awards were 2015 and 2016. He played 64 games, so I guess technically would have been disqualified, and 72 games. Okay, so uh, 64 is what he was referencing. Which, you know, maybe that year he would have played one extra game late in the season to, to ensure he was qualified if this role was in place. And the, and the NBA would have pumped their fists because they got one more Kawhi the Leonard. It remains. You have, you have like an apples and oranges context now on the the history books to this point and the history books going forward. Yeah. I mean, I look, I don't know that it necessarily like this 65 game rule has to be in place. The one thing I will say, like Joel Embiid, like for the example you're using, you're using this season, I think if this rule wasn't in place, I think his season is trending towards 50 ish games and he wouldn't have been in the MVP conversation anyways. Personally, that's just where I think it was headed. So I don't think it's going to, I don't think we're going to be sitting there at the end of the season. He's going to have played 64 games. He's going to have average 36 points, and we're all going to be like, man, we really want to vote Joel Embiid MVP. Well, for sure. Isn't there another way to look at this, too? Like, there's the other side to look at this, too. Look, I'm not even arguing that the rule is great. I'm just saying that, like, it's not all negative. Like, there's another way to look at this, which is that load management in the league, for whatever reason, this is circumstantial, it wouldn't hold up in court, but load management is down. The Clippers guys are playing. Jimmy Butler still doesn't give a crap. But the the Clippers guys are playing. LeBron and AD are playing. Like a lot of these guys are playing. They're not there's not as much resting as there has been. And in that sense, I think we can say the rule is actually working as it's intended to work. The other thing is, and you guys know, it has become shtick how much I love watching Tyrese Halliburton play basketball and how fantastic of a player I think he is. He's we're gonna get some Tyrese hate. We're gonna get some. Tyrese no, hate. no, 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 no. I don't know. Are you kidding me? Have you met me? No, he's unbelievable. No hate at all. But there's a but. Him missing out. Him missing out on on a supermax or, or a thirty percent max because he doesn't make All NBA. At some point, the opposite is going to happen too, where a player who wouldn't have otherwise made it, as Draymond says, is going to is going to sneak on to a third team All NBA. And that guy's going to get their money. So if you look at it as a labor issue, like the players are still just as likely to get their money. They're still as likely to get their 30% maxes. It just might go to guys who we would say are less deserving of those contracts. And to me, that's actually more of a team I believe, issue I believe Draymond than a player issue. Them bums. Some bums going to get a max. Yeah, but I'm not going to call them bums. Draymond is a, extremely good at basketball, so he's allowed to say whatever he wants. I am not in a position to call anyone who plays in the NBA a bum. Agreed. Uh, yeah, um, Sam, I, you feel stronger about it, and I respect Well, I'm not it. arguing I'm not arguing to, to abolish it. I just want to analyze the consequences, intended or not. And Fred, to tie a bow on your point about unintended consequences and, and the idea that you don't agree with that phrasing, would you agree with the, the idea that it is an unintended consequence potentially on the back end of the year now that Joel is is on track to be out of the mix for all the awards, uh, I think it's pretty safe to assume that if the Sixers are feeling good about where they're at in the standings, you're about to see a, a whole lot of load management on the back end of his regular season when there's nothing to play for. You know what I mean? And now, that's a big if because they need to compete. And so we'll see what happens. But but what, it is, it's interesting that if you take a high-profile player out of the mix pretty early then it changes that guy's calculus for potentially months. That 
is a great point. And that is definitely an unintended consequence. You're, you're probably going to be totally right about that. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, I think, I think team goals will, will trump all where like, I think if they need wins, he'll play. If they need to, to try to climb the standings, he'll play. And honestly, if, if, in the last couple of weeks of the season, because their seating is kind of wrapped up, they tell Joel Embiid to, to have either low minutes or don't play in a few games. I think that's smart. And I think they should not care from an MVP or not MVP perspective because I think, and Sam, I know you agree with me on this, Joel Embiid like, is going to have a, like, do we all think he's going to, to, to be healthy throughout you know a, a playoff run? I think they need to be very careful just because of how he's, he's built and his injury history. So, yeah, I think the Sixers should prioritize like preserving him in some ways, and maybe this does make that easier and unintended consequences, whatever. But I think it's the right right way to go about trying to win a title. The funny part for me, guys, and we can cap this topic here at least for me, is that as as our buddy Marcus Thompson knows, I I was a, a late adopter to the Embiid um, kind of admiration society. I you know there was times last year where I, I would get frustrated by him not playing or even honestly the way he competes. It's just not necessarily my style. The, the lumbering, uh, he's an incredible defensive player once he makes it down the court, but in transition, you know, you're watching the Sixers be four on five so many times, things like that. So so I was late to to just completely kind of absorb how phenomenal this guy is. And, and so for me, when you look at his season up until that San Antonio game where he dropped 70 on Wembenyama's head, like that was for me the most fun I've had watching him play ball ever, um, and it felt like you know holy shit I voted for Giannis last year, but but I'm about to give Embiid this vote if it keeps tracking this way, and to go from that to this is just wild because now all of a sudden uh, in a really short amount of time um, his kind of place in in the season story if you will you know right now in in this campaign is, is changed in a big big way. Yeah, I think the players also, I think the players care less about this if the league doesn't already have rules where you're eligible for a Supermax if you win MVP or make All-NBA and that kind of stuff. Like, I think I think a lot of it is the money, too. And if you, sure. if you take out, if you take out the money aspect of it, the contract eligibility aspect of it, which so many people have been critical of since the NBA put it together in their, their last CBA. And by the way, Sam, I don't know if if, if I, I never heard anything about them getting rid of like supermax eligibility if you make all NBA. I never heard anything about that being like a big talking point in the last CBA negotiation for either side, right? Like I, I don't remember hearing any of that. I, yeah, so clearly So clearly the league and the players, neither the league nor the players considered that to be a big priority, even though it, that's gotten so much coverage over the last half decade. And, and I like, I just think a lot of these problems are solved. So much of this just comes down to, to money. Like I bet you Tyrese Halliburton's a lot more upset about the 40 million than he is about the one all all NBA spot. Cause anyone would be. And like, so much of this comes down to money. If, if you had gotten rid of that, I feel like the reaction to this kind of stuff might be different. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll see what happens. I mean, that topic's going to be there all year. Um, I, I did look into it. Um, on the union side, guys, just for the record. And, you know, if the noise got so loud and, and if the frustration got so great that the players wanted to revisit this particular item, that, you know, and, and you know this, guys, that, you know, they do have the ability to revisit certain parts of the CBA. If both sides agree, they could make amend amendments. Uh, as of yesterday, it, that was not in the works. The, yeah, I mean, but this also doesn't seem like some of the league is, like, digging its feet in on. It just seemed kind of like a test trial, of, like, what are certain ways we can maybe curb Load management, you know, and it's like, oh, well, they're gonna, they're gonna have to see at the end of the year, take a total analysis of how it looked, yeah, go from there. Well, um, open this. We need some trade deadline scuttle. We need some rumors, Sam. We need some, uh, you know, some. We can start with the Rockets, right? But like, you know, you want to do Rockets? I was looking up in the, the Portland direction. We can do Rockets. Yeah, let's let's. People want to hear about you know Sam Amick's on the ground reporting. And, and, and where this deadline might be scuttlebutt, as Sandra Select just said on the uh, on the uh, chat. Oh, tell us about the Rockets. Are the Rockets like trade Schleck all their young players over uh, Kawhi Leonard? No, I'm just kidding. Um, where where's this Rockets story at? No, I mean I like the story. First of all, I'm I was I was 
chipping in on this one. This was heavy lifting by Kelly Eco, Rockets B Rider, and, and Sham Sharania. Um, the reporting that matters the most with, and it doesn't have a, it's kind of half of the reporting. We, we now know some of the Rockets' intentions. We just don't know what it might amount to. But it is very, very interesting is that, you know, in this post James Harden era where, you know, Daryl Morey goes off to Philadelphia, um, Rafael Stone is promoted, longtime. Rockets attorney and executive who's been in that position in the front office for, I think, four years now, three and a half years. Um, they hire Ime Udoka last summer. Uh, and and in terms of their new operation and their culture and their and their kind of the way they function, uh, Ime has just absolutely, you know, put his imprint on the Rockets program from day one. We saw that with the way that with Rafael, they built the roster out in the summer. They they take a pass on the James Harden reunion, which was telling in its own right that here's a guy who's, you know, a, a former MVP, going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, Ime in particular was not feeling that. He wanted Fred Van Vliet, you know, like on balance. One guy is far more accomplished than the other, but Fred, for Ime's purposes, fit what he wanted to do. They pick up Dylan Brooks. They were close to getting Brooke Lopez. They thought they had him. That would have been a game changer. Um, so a super interesting summer for the Rockets and they're, and they're adding veteran talent, edgy defensive minded talent to the young core that they had. Um, and what I think we now have learned is that, you know, we have this breakout season from Shangun, who is clearly a foundational piece for what they're doing. And I'll be honest and not to like hit the rewind button too much, but man, like the, the Steven Silas era was obviously just one of those that will kind of be forgotten as they pivoted you know, during the, the post-Harden time. But I will say that, you know, Sangoon and what he is now compared to the kind of the part he had of the program under Silas is just vastly different. And Ime has pulled that out of him. I think he deserves credit for that. Um, but Jalen Green is was the focus of the story that that uh, Kelly and Shams and I put together. And essentially that, that uh, he's just, he's not seen internally as the building block uh, and that they have been open to not only talking about him, but looking at bigger names. They're star hunting, so to speak. So uh, what is, what's Jalen Green's value right now? Because, you know, part of the reason that what you're saying has happened, which is them kind of maybe souring a little on, on his like long-term ceiling is because he hasn't played well, right? I mean, he's shooting 41%, a very low efficiency, like volume scorer who's not really going to help a ton on the defensive end. He'll have a highlight, but he'll have his three or 14 shooting nights. Like, you know, and he's going to be extension eligible this summer. Wow. Uh, what I I feel like the Rockets hope would be, oh, he could be the centerpiece that, like you said, helps you go get a star. But like, is that you know, are they are they overly hopeful of what his value actually is right now on the open market? Yeah, I think probably. And and really, I mean, honestly, you guys know how this works. Sometimes you know this kind of messaging getting out through the media, uh, you know, there's times when, when a team might hope that it helps at least spread the word. Um, like their dream target that I definitely do not think is happening is Mikhail Bridges, right? Like, um, you know, the idea of Mikhail coming to the Rockets and a Jalen center deal would, would make uh, Ime and company very happy. Um, you know, I and they're not only looking at, at a, a guy like that. I mean, they're trying to add bigs and, and just build out the roster. I, it, I think... Regardless of, or I guess without knowing what they're able to pull off, um, I will say in doing this piece that it it did remind me that I find them, the Rockets, to be one of the most interesting non-contending teams in the league right now. Um, they they are, you know, clearly have a vision of where they want to go, what they want to be. You see that win over the Lakers the other night when, you know, every so often they, they just compete differently, honestly, than today's NBA. This is the the, the scoring binge era uh, where we've seen so much the last couple of weeks. And this is one of the few teams that, that will punch you in the mouth and piss you off and play a little more old school, which we don't see a lot of these days. And, and I'm trying to build off that. Big Dylan Brooks guy, Sam Amicus. Hey, man, he's, I, I'm not, but he's had, I mean, he's, I mean, he's had a pretty good, it's like its own version of a comeback player of the year award. I mean, you get cast aside in Memphis um, and, and become, you know, one of the guys that's a culture setter out there. Um, it's it's been a, a good run for him so far. And isn't it funny that yeah, paid, but yeah, I mean we all. We, I shouldn't say we all. 
I, I, I definitely did it. I definitely talked about Dylan Brooks going there and that's the guy you want setting your culture after everything that you went out in Memphis and like right. the culture is totally different. Like you look at, they have one of the worst transition defenses and just, they had certainly the worst transition defense in the league the past two years. And you look at it now they're like really good at it and they get back. And some of that's Fred Van Vliet. I'm sure some of that's Dylan Brooks. I'm sure. A lot of that's Ime Udoka. Yeah, obviously. yeah. I think I think it's Udoka mostly, but yeah, you're right. He got his type of player. But look, Dil- Dylan Brooks, you can say whatever you want about Dylan Brooks. That dude competes. Like, there is that he has never gone 90% on any play in his entire life. He is 110% on every single play. He- I did not like his foul on Vanderbilt the other night, though, and I feel like that was lost in the whole situation because there was some stuff with him and LeBron that's always going to get some headlines and like the Vanderbilt where Vanderbilt got ejected like nothing actually foul happened in that sequence but did you guys see the foul that Vanderbilt I didn't I only saw the the kind of the push of the head that Dylan Vanderbilt's going up for a dunk and Brooks pushes him like it's a light shove but it's one of those that that makes him fly into the stanchion basically and it reminded me a little bit it was it wasn't as you know, uh, violent, or it certainly didn't have the injury impact. But remember the Gary Payton, the second foul in the playoffs, where he clubs him around the head and Gary Payton breaks. Oh, don't get it twisted, Slater. I'm not trying to to say he's not got a dirty element to his game. Yeah, I mean, he does. You know, uh, and I, I did. Think also, it's so telling that if you go, let's go back real quick and talk about Ime. Ime's one season in Boston was one of the most impactful for a head coach that I've ever seen. When you talk about a team that was already elite, you know, you walk into a place that's got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you get the trust of Brad Stevens at the time. And obviously everything that happened on, on the way out was, was you know, as bad as it gets from a, a PR standpoint. But that season, he made a mark and convinced Jason and Jalen uh, to, to share the ball, to play differently, to have more edge, to compete differently. And that kind of mentality, which he... Uh, at least partly picked up from Greg Popovich in his years in San Antonio. Uh, I mean, Ime was a, a, an average NBA player and defensive-minded, you know, put together um, whatever it was, eight, nine seasons. But as a coach, he's been the same guy from San Antonio, Philly, Brooklyn to Houston. And it's very telling when, you know, uh, you go out and one of the first moves you make is to go get yourself a Dylan Brooks. I mean, it said everything about the way Ime was going to build it. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that that's that was his rep as an assistant. Like that was that was the way he that was the way he came up. That was the way players talked about him. So it, it yeah. it's not a there were never any questions about Ime Odoka's basketball smarts or X's nose after he had that season in Boston. Right. You know, it was it was only about the stuff that went down off the court. Sam, yeah, I mean the 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 story you guys wrote was interesting. Even if nothing goes down uh, over the next few weeks with the or over the next week with the Rockets trade wise, because you know it's it kind of painted a picture of like you know the the leadership structure shifting, the priorities of the franchise shifting in some ways. But do you do you think something is potentially going to go down? I mean, do you think like is this just the Rockets like hopeful? Yeah, sure. You know, or like look, we're looking into things, or like could they? Do you think they might be like a stealth? Like ooh. You know, really, they really strike at the deadline and change. Uh, nothing imminent, nothing, nothing hot right now. I mean, the openness to you know to kind of do something. The the idea that that once you get past, um, you know, Sanguin and a few other guys, that uh, that they're going to be open to talk. You know, could lead to activity. Uh, but like you said, I think this one was more. Yeah, I'm a sucker for these kind of pieces where. You're basically admitting, all right, we don't know what they might do, but guess what? Here's what they're hoping to do. I mean, if we could have, to Kelly's credit, because he's got a good pulse on the team, you know, if we could have a, a story like this, and, and you guys do this on your beats too, where you just tell people, you know, here's what's on that whiteboard internally and what they are trying to put together, the, the wish list, if you will. Because we all know we sit on pods like this and talk about what might happen. You know, if you're in the offices with these teams, these are very real list that they get put together and, and the public never gets to see. So I don't know where it's all going to go, but uh, the big takeaway is that the Rockets are, are trying to speed up their timeline here. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I, I, I have a question for you, Sam. Yep. What's, what's a star to them? Like, they're 11th in the West right now. What is, what is a star? You say, okay, they might use Jalen Green as, as a tool to go get a star. Obviously, we take Green, picks, whatever else. What's a star? Is DeJounte Murray a star or is like an all NBA player? Well, Mikel Bridges is the name he used, and that's probably like the threshold we're talking. Yeah, but the Nets, from everything that everybody yeah. hears, like they're not trading him. Like the well, Nets are you not can, trying to get worse. For sure, but I think he profiles as like, you know, a clear, you know, delineation point, whatever, of like what the Rocket, right? They're not saying, hey, we're going to go get Jason Tatum or something. It's like, well, but there is a gap, and I think, Fred, you're hitting on this, is like, yes, there's a, there's a gap and, and a confusing uh, disconnect, if you will, between the fact that Bridges, you know, Rockets say yes, but Nets say no. Two other names that, that you know, our information was that, that these do not entice the Rockets is DeJounte Murray and Zach Levine. So, okay, we have we have a yes and we have two no's. Uh, I don't know who sits in between. I don't know exactly who else, you know, they're looking at. Uh, isn't isn't you know, that the problem at this deadline i just wrote about the warriors and their kind of like trapped situation recently like where they're kind of one of their roster issues right now is they kind of need number two number three next step because like some of their other guys just aren't played at that level and it's like now that pascal siakam has been moved they don't exist out there because i don't think murray strikes anybody as a two or a three or zach levine or even like a demar Derozan at this point like Lori marketing i think is probably the highest profile name that like has been at least nudged into the people's consciousness. But Sam, I mean, you've even talked to Lori Markman. Like, I don't think that's happening. I don't think he's getting moved. So isn't that the problem at the deadline that there are teams like the Rockets, like the Warriors, like other teams that would love for it to be last year's deadline where suddenly Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are available. But like, I don't know. Maybe we'll be shocked. No, I think you're right. And even the the Murray one, you know, I I looked into it the other day at the Warriors game. There were some some Murray people, if you will, at that game. And, uh, and all of a sudden, and it's funny, I heard this that, uh, that night, and then Mark Stein wrote it on his substack the other day, that, that Quinn Snyder apparently is, is a DeJounte Murray fan and is kind of internally saying, let's go ahead and hold on to this guy. And that the front office with Landry Fields is maybe looking at it differently, but not a foregone conclusion that he's out in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I think, Sam, can I add some context to that? Yeah, for sure. Because I think there's another piece for sure, though, because the Hawks brought in Chris Grant yep. to their front office. For as GM. From from teams that have talked to the Hawks about about Dejounte Murray since Chris Grant got there, 
they've all said the same thing. They've all said that that Atlanta has really changed its tune on how it's negotiating with with Chris Grant now in house, and where they're kind of signal, signaling more like, yeah, we'd love to find a good deal for Dejounte Murray, but if we don't get what we want, we have no problem going to the summer and revisiting a trade then. Whereas I think people kind of thought a trade was more inevitable before he He hasn't even started his extension yet. It starts next year. It's four years, 114 million, which by the way, in the new age, new uh, of money, like it's actually pretty reason for for what he provides on the court for for what 14. He's only 27. So yeah, I mean, I can see the desire from them, especially where they're at to like, want to know what their rebuild looks like you know speed it up but also yeah like you can wait on murray till the summer if there's gonna be better offers then right yeah no doubt i mean that front office dynamic is is fascinating landry and chris work together in san antonio um get along well but it's not very often that you see like a a mid-season front office edition like this one you know and, and and a guy with with more experience like chris coming into their group so, yeah, we'll see what they do. And then on the flip side, it's funny you, you mentioned the money, Slater. You know, with Zach Levine, the narrative and feeling seems to be that, you know, A, that people don't like what they've seen from him this year health-wise and, and otherwise, and then B, that he makes too much. You know, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me to compare what Murray has left to, to Zach. Do you guys remember the the actual figure there? I'm looking it up right now. So continue with your uh, five-year, $215 million deal is what he signed. And he has, this is a year two of that. So it's $40 million this year, $43 million next year, 45 after 48 in the final year of player option. Um, so, you know, we're basically talking about, you know, if you include this year, uh, you know, four years and, you know, 170 Ish a lot more than Murray, yeah. yeah. So I mean, the, the feeling there. I mean, I, at this point, I'd probably be a little surprised if Zach gets moved. Um, it, it feels like that price is, is just too big for for all suitors. What do you think about Detroit? There, that's the that's one team that's really kind of been been rumored as uh, you know they they're kind of always constantly trying to shift direction, but you know they can throw some expiries, like some more edible contracts, I guess you would say for for. Uh, the Bulls as they try to pivot off it and and would at least provide a landing spot where you could hand Zach Levine the shot attempts that that he needs to be yeah that a a a a Pistons Bulls Zach Levine trade would definitely require somebody taking some medibles I I agree (laughs) wow oh yeah I mean like that, that that I mean to me that's where like the Levine market doesn't seem to be for like contenders necessarily I mean I guess I don't know, like the Lakers. I mean, I, I'm not admittedly close enough to the Detroit situation to have a great pulse. We should have James Edwards on to discuss this. Um, but I do know, generally speaking, that they have tried to avoid the costly, minimally impactful moves, the, the, the likes of which they have done a lot in the last couple of years. The Blake Griffin one always gets cited as kind of the, the wrong type of addition where you are trying to just kind of race your way back to the middle and pay a price long term um considering their prospects and what they're trying to do with Cade Cunningham and and everything else they have there I I don't see the sense in that but I also am well aware that the human condition and what happens sometimes when enough pressure gets applied and when you pay Monty Williams what they pay them and when you have the kind of disastrous year that they've had and Troy Weaver, you know, inevitably is in the front office feeling some of that heat. Uh, Arn Tellum as well. Like, you know, who knows uh, what they can talk themselves into. Well, who is the name you guys are monitoring towards deadline? Dave DeFore asked us if it was going to be a quiet deadline. I would probably say yes, but there still will be trades, right? You know, even if it's like the Tyus Joneses of the world. Well, like, is there a name you guys are are looking at? So here's, here's the thing. I... I'm inclined to think it's going to be a quiet deadline because I I feel like when I talk to people there are there isn't a lot of like hot action going on between teams. You know, I feel like it's it's kind of like a lot of teams that are trying to that are trying. I see Slater making a face. Well, I was gonna, like, you killed me for the edible carbon. I'm like hot action. <laughs> 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 hot trade deadline action yeah i see the bulls bulls and pistons are getting real inappropriate together <laughs> i i 
I would. I just you talk. You talk to teams. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, I've oh, literally boy. never said hot action in any context <laughs> oh, my entire life. I've All I've right. never said that. Uh, there there is there is. <laughs> Freaky Fred, let's go. Yeah, there's there's not there's not a lot there's not a lot of uh, of talk that like seems to be like like on rolling right now with a lot of teams. But what I think sometimes happens in years like this is there are a lot of teams who want to get stuff done. You know, like the Knicks, wh- who I cover, want to add something. The Warriors, like you mentioned, Slater, would like to you know edit the roster somehow beyond Steph Curry and and at least get better and find a way to compete during this postseason. The Lakers want to get better. Like the 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 Sixers want to add an extra piece so they can be really confident in their their five guys who are going to be closing. Uh, I think you know there there's just a lot of teams that would like to make moves. Maybe the Thunder want to bring in like consolidate their their grouping of wings and into one one actual wing who will help. And and what I could see happening is a lot of December eighth deals. Like if it's going to happen, like I don't think we're going to see a lot of February. February. Yeah. Can't get the month right. Can't get anything right. Yes. What I could see happening is a lot of February 7th and 8th deals as opposed to like February 5th and 6th deals. What I could see is you cross off your first option. Okay, that's not happening. You cross off your second option. Okay, that's not happening. You cross off your third option. Okay, that's not happening. And then you're like, okay, screw it. We're going for this guy. Like we've already negotiated this. Let's let's just do it on, on February 8th at 259 before the deadline rolls in. So like that, if if it's not quiet, that is what I anticipate. Is that, that's how I anticipated. Yeah, I think there will be trades. It's just not the big name trade. Um, and again, I think there's still like reasonable pieces out there. I think Bogdanovich in Detroit could really help somebody. And he's he's 20 million this year. He's like basically almost a fully non guaranteed 19 million next year. Like that's, I think he, I think if I was a contender, I'd be kind of trying to trying to get him. He's the name I'm watching, but I think. No, there are a lot. I don't know, Sam. Is there anybody on your mind? I mean, you got D'Angelo no. in our rundown. I don't know. I mean, oh, I did. The yeah. Lakers do with him. It, you know, it's more like who who might they be able to get for him, or should they trade him? Though like, he is playing well. Yeah, that 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 one's uncomfortable. Um, man, he's had some really good moments this season with the Lakers. Um, they've been so up and down. Um, he was in Atlanta the other day, and he's getting a chant from the Hawks fans that we don't want you. Um, which is a little brutal. Uh, the context there obviously is is the DeJounte Murray possibility and, and the reality. The fans are correct. The Hawks have not shown interest in taking D'Angelo Russell back in a Murray deal. That is the obstacle that I think we've talked about on the pod before, um, is, is that the Lakers need to find a third team for D'Angelo. That hasn't happened. Um, you know, we'll see, like Dave says in the chat, fans are too online. They are reading us and now they they get chats out or chance out of it. So the, the one thing I, you know, who's extremely online. Also that one section in the Hawks crowd, which by the way, it's just right next to the media section. It wasn't like the entire arena chanting. It's their like soccer style. You know, a few of these uh, right. arenas have these like soccer style sections where it's just like the hardcore fans that, that it's like 50 of them. And they, they were the ones that, yeah, if, if well, but well, ironically, once it gets online and it becomes viral enough, then it doesn't matter how small the group was. All we know is the narrative that the Hawks fans told D'Angelo they didn't want him. So, but D'Angelo in a vacuum is like, man, he he loves being a Laker. Um, there was that clip of him last week, seemingly emotional on the bench and fans speculating that it was tied to his kind of uncertain future. Um, but then, you know, next thing you know, Fred's favorite topic, the Lakers are losing games lebron james is tweeting hourglasses uh not like somebody has said not really passive aggressive anymore um just aggressive aggressive and you know showing his kind of frustration and and the interpretation on the media side of that was you know not surprisingly that lebron is is feeling a a little impatient right now and and wondering what the lakers are going to do i know andrew select would love for me to, to bring this hot topic uh to the to the table Zero percent chance LeBron James is traded at the deadline, Sam. Zero. Zero is a big number, or it's a very small number. Um, zero. I would be shocked. Yeah, I would. Oh, not, I think, yeah. No, I'll I tell you what. Shocked. That that is some hot action right there. <laughs> that <laughs> that is. is some hot action. That would be the hottest action. <laughs> yeah. 
I thought you were going to put LeBron in, in OKC since you mentioned Andrew. Like, man, that's uh, that's some some hot takes right there. I don't see it happening, um, but it's a little bit like the Rockets thing. We don't have to predict what's going to happen. We can unpack the context. Um, LeBron has a player option for next season that looms large because, yes, he loves living in L.A. Yes, he loves being that did Sam Amick uh, peter out for, for, for everybody else? Oh, well, he froze for me. Uh, am I back now, guys? Yeah, yep. Yeah, you're back. Continue making it I, wrong. I, I petered out from the hot action. Uh, All right, it's getting weird. <laughs> LeBron. <laughs> um, LeBron has got a, a player option for next season that is looming large, and, and I just think internally they're well aware that that comes with a certain amount of leverage that, you know, even if, okay, maybe it's not 0%, so if there's a five percent ten percent chance that he might opt out and do something crazy uh like we've seen him do before you know from cleveland to miami to the lakers uh cleveland again in between then who knows um the the coaching situation remains i think uh worth monitoring it just it uh, just my opinion here it just man it feels like like darvin is headed down a, a not a great road for him if they don't make serious noise in the playoffs i don't see anything happening there anytime soon but if you asked me if like the connectivity is there about a month after we reported that the he had you know in essence lost the locker room like no I don't think it's there and you see I mean forget LeBron guys when when Darvin Ham makes a lineup change and Christian Wood is tweeting lol uh, like that's when you're taking strays from Christian Wood then you know things are not great so as it relates to LeBron like the more angst and the more unhappiness, uh, the more the better chance of, of something happening there, whether it's a trade, whether it's the coaching situation, whether it's him doing something, you know, this summer, um, you know, we'll see. It's very interesting, Sam. That's all you it's got. Very interesting. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I, I have no idea on that situation, but it's, I'm glad we're talking about it. Fred, very you, Fred, you said you still think the Knicks are 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 in on some things. I mean, obviously they made one of they made the big swing that's helped them so much. They might be the winners of the deadline even without doing anything with OG, but like more. You think more is coming? I think they I I I shouldn't say I think. I know that if they had their druthers, more would come. Yeah. Like they want their offense really craters when Jalen Brunson is off the court. And they're for those who don't know, I mean, they are playing unbelievable basketball 14 and 2 in january which is 14 and 2 since og Ananobi arrived he didn't even play in the last two games no julius randall no og Ananobi, no mitchell robinson the last two games and they destroyed charlotte which they should and then annihilated are you ready uh, to work until like june fred are you ready to do this you know you're gonna be out on the clock for a while this postseason it's it's plausible i mean they they're defensively they are me but really right up there in the T one tier one best defenses in the league. Honestly, they they're the best defense in the league. Classic Tom Thibodeau storyline with this terrific regular season that's getting you all amped up before the <laughs> before the fade out. Uh, well, so I was who, I was who, talking. Who do you think will as a target? They want they want somebody who can help settle the offense when Brunson is off the floor, because right now. The offense still really struggles. When Tyus Jones, I mentioned him earlier. That's like the description of Tyus Jones' game. It is, so, but I don't think it's going to be Tyus Jones, in part because they don't want somebody on an expiring contract because the big salary that they have to send out is Evan Fournier, who has a team option for next year of $19 million. And while Fournier actually never, ever, ever plays, and $19 million is an incredible salary for someone who never, ever, ever plays, there's actually a chance they pick up that team option. Because what they're targeting is they're trying to make a trade for the star that they have been after for four years, whoever it might be. They're targeting summer of 2024 to make that trade. And what they need in order to make that trade is big tradable salaries. And they might end up picking up Fournier's team option just to use in that kind of trade moving forward because it's just $19 million of expiring salary as opposed to having to include, say, Josh Hart just for salary reasons and trade a guy who's integral to your rotation. So- what they well, want. The Knicks getting a star, Evan Fortier might have the most invested in the Knicks getting a star this summer. Man, he wants them to find. So like, true. That's a $19 million uh, swing. So true. And, and so if they trade Fortier now, 
their preference is to bring back someone who's also under contract for next year, which is why if they trade Fournier, I think it could be Bruce Brown. You know, that's somebody who I know they've expressed interest in. That's somebody who can who can handle the ball behind Brunson, next to Brunson. Thibodeau player. Moves out the ball. He's 100% tips personality, really good defender, and he's proven he can be on the court in the most important moments of an NBA Finals game. You know, he's 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 a wonderful role player, and he's a CAA client, which is very important for the Knicks as well when you look at that stuff. And so... Someone like that, he's got a he's got a big team option for next year, and that's someone you could flip. You know, like someone of that mold. I think there are guys on the Yusker, you know, like like they like Alec Burke, who they have before, but he's not going to take Fournier. He's not going to take. He's expiring. He's not going to take Fournier. He's not going to take a first. You know, if you trade for Alec Burks, you're trading a, a a a first, and you know, trading a couple seconds or something. You're not trading a first. So, I think they'll try to do something to just be able to sustain the offense when Brunson's off the floor because they don't have enough creators behind him because the OG trade meant bringing in this unbelievable role player and defender and Ananobi has completely changed the fabric of the team, but it also meant sending out RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly who were two staples in that bench lineup and the two creators in that bench lineup. Good stuff, gentlemen. I'm going to go ahead and, and cap it there. Uh, Slater's got to get on a plane. Where are we yep. heading, Slater? Memphis, Tennessee. All right. Through where? You never get to go direct. Where will we? Lake City. All right. There it is. Good old Memphis flight. Fred, I'm sure you got to jump. Uh, I think we uh, we shared all the hot action we know about, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate everybody. Uh, apologies for not getting to the Damian Lillard return. Uh, like we promised, if you somehow missed it, the Blazers win 119-116. Dame, unfortunately, just doesn't hit enough shots to get the job done. He was 9 of 23 from the field, 3 of 13 from 3, and they lose late to the Blazers. Uh, we talked all things Bucks last season, or last week, rather. So if you want more on the Bucks uh, and their new coach, Doc Rivers, go listen to the last tampering. But thank you, guys. Thank you to the listeners. We will talk to you next week.